Last week we talked about hope, and this week we talked, no, last week was joy, sorry, hope. Yes, hope, thank you. Last week was hope. Um, too much tryptophan. Uh, that's what's in Turkey. Um, and then this week is peaks, and then next week will be joy, and then two weeks from now will be love. So today's about peace. Uh, the authors of an incredible YouTube channel called The Bible Project, I highly recommend them, have made hundreds of videos about every book of the Bible, about numerous in-depth studies on different theological definitions and aspects of Jesus and Holy Spirit, God the Father. They're incredible. Uh, and in their video on peace, these two seminary grads write this, peace takes a lot of work. It's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, in our relationships, or in our world. So today I, I have a small task for us. And our, our goal for today is to talk about what it looks like um, what it took for Jesus to understand and practice peace, how Jesus makes peace in our lives, and then how we can make peace, how we can become peacemakers. Um, so that's a lot. So we better pray if we're going to do that work. Amen? Okay, Lord Jesus, we love you, and we're so grateful for you now. And we bind up in silence anything opposed to you, Jesus, that would be distracting us, that would be putting us to sleep, that would be um, having us worry or stress or think about um, how the 49ers are losing. Lord, help. Uh, forgive me, Jesus, for, for being a Seahawks fan. But more importantly, Jesus, as I try and get back on track in this prayer, Lord, help. Help, Jesus. Amen. Sorry. 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 I was terrible. Let's just pray again. Lord, have mercy on me. A sinner. Uh, what, so what, what, do you, what do you want for Christmas this year? Is it big? Is it small? Uh, is it a toy or is it a gadget? I've shared this letter with you before, but this is my favorite letter a kid wrote Santa. Here's the letter, unedited. Dear Santa, I've been nice this year. I respect my, my parents. I eat healthy. I do my best on really hard tests. I've been nice this year. I really have. What I'd like for Christmas is a panda bear that was just born yesterday and a lightsaber. He goes on. The letter doesn't end. I mean, I had to cut some out just for time. But he wants a real live working lightsaber, like, you know, can melt walls and cut things in half. And for a special touch, maybe a nice book. <laughs> Sincerely, Michael. Maybe you want something big like Michael here that's actually quite small, like a baby panda. Or maybe you want something really big. It feels almost impossible, like maybe to not be alone. Or a relationship to be mended. Or health for yourself or a loved one. Maybe... For Christmas, you want something this year that's so precious and tender and holy that you haven't even said it out loud. I think if you stripped away most of our material wants, all of us would have peace as an item on our Christmas wish list. Amen? Yes. 
We want to be at peace. We want our bodies to be at peace. We want the world to be at peace. We want our hearts to be at peace. We want baby pandas. But I think we probably want peace more. I sat with a friend this week who talked with deep sorrow about his own foolishness, how that's robbed him of so much peace. And everything within him now is striving to put his life back together. And he's making these beautiful decisions and these steps towards Jesus. And this week he told me, I know this is right move because the moment that I said yes and started making these decisions back to Jesus, I felt peace for the first time in years. We all want peace. Now, the Greeks, um, they define peace like this. Here's a little video from the Bible Project. The Greeks define peace as the absence of war. Maybe it was a handshake uh, in which two sides decided to finally end this conflict. That's the idea of peace. As a society built on Greek ideals, that's who we are. Did you know that? Our view of the world and how we understand individual liberty and freedoms, those are all Greek ideas. Passed on to the Romans, passed on to the all of Western Europe, and on we go. That's us. So, what we think, we often think like ancient Greeks. So when the president is being threatened with impeachment or North Korea shoots off another missile or my Seahawks beat your 49ers right? Uh, sorry, I just, they're going to lose. My Seahawks will lose. I know this. I'm a Seattle fan. You can rub it in all you want. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so the idea is, is that when something on the outside changes, we often think that's what robs our peace. That's what takes our peace. That's a Greek idea, okay? But the Hebrews didn't think this way. The Hebrews didn't think about peace as just the absence of conflict. The Hebrews believed that peace is actually the presence of something else. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it is the absence of conflict, but it's more than that. It's the presence of God in your midst. So their definition is this. Next slide, John. Shalom or peace, read this with me. Shalom or peace is the rest gained through the work of forgiveness and reconciliation at the temple by God's presence. Shalom, wholeness, completeness, put togetherness, isn't just the absence of an irritant or a conflict or something that's wrong. It's actually this moment when God himself, in God's presence, puts you back together and reconciles you and makes you whole. Picking up what the Hebrews are putting down? Does that make sense? It's not just, oh, finally, bad things have stopped happening. That's the Greek idea. The Hebrew idea is, yeah, conflict might be there, it might not be there, but more importantly, it's that God is here. So making this statement super simple, we could say that this, peace is the presence of God. So often in our sorrow and anxiety or when we're in pain, all we want is the conflict or the pain or the stress to be gone. 
That's understandable. We want peace, and we default to a Greek way of thinking by saying, well, if this thing is just out of my life, then peace will come. So when we pray for peace, what we're often praying for is that irritant, that irritating person, that bad thing. We want it to go away or be fixed. And we're waiting for that to happen before we can experience peace. And what that means is that peace can be taken from you at a moment's notice. And God's promise to you is exactly the opposite. uh, Jesus says this in John 14. We, We read this a couple of months ago. Read it with me again. Peace I leave with you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I'm not going to give peace to you that can be robbed and taken from you in an instant. Almost all of you have a cell phone in your pocket and, and that your peace can be robbed with a text, with an email, with, a, with one thing, right? One little pop-up notification and all of a sudden your anxiety is through the roof and your peace is gone. That's not what Jesus offers you. What does he offer you? Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because the peace I leave with you, it's my peace. Oswald Chambers explains this. He says this, The peace of sins forgiven, the peace of a conscience at rest with God is not the peace that Jesus imparts. Let me read that again. The peace of sins forgiven, the peace of a conscience at rest with God is not the peace that Jesus imparts. Those are the immediate results of believing and obeying Him. The peace of Christ is His own peace. And He never had any sins to be forgiven or an outraged conscience to be appeased. The peace that Jesus gives you is literally the peace that He has in His own body. In his own heart. And how does he do that? He gives you his peace by giving you himself. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is here. Jesus is, the Christmas is the historical and the eternal proclamation an event that there is no circumstance, no grief, no stress, no chaotic world that can rob us of peace because Jesus is here with us, within us. And whether we're facing doldrums or a storm or the winds are in our sails, it doesn't matter what kind of life we're experiencing right now, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with you and in you. And he is your peace. Yeah. Say amen again. Good. Thank you. That's that Aramaic word that means I agree. So let me zoom out for a moment. Because I've just made the case that we all have this core desire for, for peace. Here's my argument so far. Next slide, John. We think of peace as the absence of conflict, but rather peace is the presence of God. Okay? So let me ask you a question. When Jesus was growing up, 
Who taught him this? Who taught Jesus that peace is the presence of God? Did you know that Jesus wasn't born as an adult? It's the strangest thing in the world. It is so weird. If you ever get to go see Renaissance art of Jesus, there's, there's stuff down in L.A. and the Guggenheim, and then there's, in, you know, in the, or in whatever that is, the Getty down south, and then there's in the Guggenheim in New York and in Chicago, and, and if, you, or if you go to Europe and you go see. But in the, in the Renaissance, in the 1500s, 1600s, um, people made paintings of Jesus, and he looks like a strange little man, yeah. right? Here's Mary. Right? Of course, she's white. Um, you know, she's from Ohio, right? And, and, then, and then there's Jesus, and of course, he's white as well, but he's a white little man, right? And he's got his fingers up like this. And what is, like, Jesus be wrinkly, right? Like, you need to give Jesus a bath, Mary. Like, what's going on? Like, Jesus is mad. Change me, right? I mean, what's the idea there? And the, the, Renaissance, the Renaissance people, sorry, I'm feeling saucy this morning. Uh, the, the Renaissance uh, artists, what they wanted to do is they wanted to communicate the idea that, that Jesus, you know, he was always like God, right? He was always, you know, and I, I, that's, uh, yeah, he was always God, but like he was a kid and someone raised him and someone needed to teach him about what peace is. And how it works. And I think that Jesus learned, and I don't, I don't know this. I mean, I think Jesus learned from both his mom and his dad. But I think his, his stepdad, Joseph, taught him a lot about peace. And our scripture today helps me make that case. Here we go. You ready? Matthew 1, chapter, eight, or verse one, chapter 1, verse 18. Read with me. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You know the story, right? Jesus and Joseph, Mary, uh, Joseph and Mary get engaged. They're young teenagers. The moment they get engaged, they're going to spend a year getting to know each other. How about that for eHarmony, right? <laughs> Match.com, right? You sign up, you find out you're engaged, then you get to know each other. How about that? Um, and the, their families spend time together, and all the while, Joseph is going to use the money that he's built up and saved and earned from his paper route to start building their house. Does that make sense? So, I mean, that's pretty sweet, right, for a teenage boy. That's what teenage boys were capable of 2,000 years ago, right? Now they can build a world in Minecraft, but not so much a house. <laughs> so Joseph is building the house, and then Mary comes to him and says, <clears throat> can you put down your hammer and come talk to me, right? And what does she say? She says, I'm engaged. Can you imagine the conversation? She's, yeah, that too. <laughs> Pregnant. I'm feeling saucy. It's because I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I'm a little bit nerpy. I'm not on any medication either. Um, 
So how does Joseph feel? Angry, betrayed, like all of it, shocked, right? You know, man, I'm pregnant. It's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, well, maybe, maybe she got raped, maybe a Roman soldier, or maybe, like, like, what in the world happened? And Mary says, no, none of that happened. And actually, the Holy Spirit hovered over me, just like the Holy Spirit hovered over the darkness in the Genesis 1 and created this new life within me, like in creation. And now Joseph thinks she's pregnant and she's schizophrenic, right? Like, she's nuts. Like, this is it. She's, like, that's what Joseph is thinking. And so Joseph has terrible decisions to make, like absolutely terrible decisions to make. Verse 19, read with me. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And, you know, we learn that Joseph is a good man. What, that old word, righteous, right? He's a good man. He's a righteous man. I mean, he's more than fair. Joseph is the kind of man who, when betrayed, responds with kindness. Who wants to be that man? I don't do... There's like four people that raised your hand. <laughs> Come on, yeah, get your... When you're betrayed, who wants to... No, about a third of you. The rest of you are honest. Nah, not, not so much. I, this fall was tough for me. I had two people outside of the church. I had two, two friends betray me in strange, weird ways. And, and I responded by being cold to them. And the Holy Spirit has just been convicting my heart. It's like, really? Like, you betrayed me and I wasn't cold to you. It's like, oh, jeez. Man, like Joseph is, as a teenager, has more character than I do in, in my late 20s. Right? <laughs> Joseph is the kind of man who is betrayed and yet responds with kindness. The kind of man who stands up for himself and yet is not going to cause his betrayer more injury. Joseph's strategy is really well thought out. He's not going to destroy Mary, but he also won't be destroyed by Mary. He won't let her betrayal by being pregnant with someone else's child soil his reputation or ruin his business or crush his family with disgrace, or be the cause of sorrow at every future Thanksgiving and Hanukkah. Right? So Joseph has a very logical and kind and well-thought-out plan, and that's to divorce Mary quietly and let Mary and her family navigate their, that, this little nightmare um, on their own. Joseph is thinking clearly. He's thinking rationally. He's thinking with kindness, not with revenge in his heart. And this is not peace. Peace is not the absence of revenge. Peace is not the absence of bitterness. Peace is the presence of God. So God shows up to Joseph. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So our Heavenly Father sends an angel of the Lord, like capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's an archangel. That's a big angel. That's like an angel that reaches to the top of the sanctuary ceiling. That's a big angel. People have panic attacks and wet their pants in the Old Testament when the angel of the Lord shows up. Literally, everybody falls on their face. So I think God is flexing a little bit, right? He's like, do I send the little cherub, you know? (laughs) Nah, let's send the angel of the Lord, right? So the angel of the Lord shows up. This is Gabriel, the same one that shows up to Mary. And the angel of the Lord who's speaking for God. So God, through the angel of the Lord, is going to have a little chat with Joseph. Let's find out what that chat says. Read with me. And said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel tells Joseph a really uh, some critical information for him. Number one, Mary is not crazy. What she said is true. Number two, don't divorce Mary. Number three, you're going to be a stepdad to the Messiah. Number four is a command, name him Jesus. Notice that the angel doesn't ask for Joseph's opinions. The angel doesn't compliment him on his kind, well-thought-out plan. And what does Joseph do with this new information? He obeys. We know the story. It's not like he goes, well... No, he obeys. Verse 24. Ready? When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. She gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Good job, Joseph. Here is what we're learning about peace. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is sustained as we listen to his voice. Peace remains as we follow his direction. Do you want peace? I'm assuming you do. So what is God's word telling you? If you want peace, your great thinking isn't going to be enough. You need God's presence. You need to pray. And prayer isn't just you talking. Prayer is you listening And obeying, let me go back to the listening real quick. Do you hunger to hear God's voice? Do you want to hear his voice? Are you taking time to listen to his voice? Are you taking time to like spend time in prayer, talking to him and listening to him, reading scripture and letting him speak to you through his word? Are you taking time to do that? Because you know what happens in my life? There'll be seasons where I'm like, oh yeah, I really want to listen to God's voice and I don't read the Bible. I'll skip my quiet times 
And what my actions are saying is that I'm hoping that God will intervene and prevent me from making a terrible mistake, but really I'm just going to listen to myself. Do you think that you'll be more likely to follow God's direction if you're listening to yourself, hoping he'll intervene and rescue you from disaster, or if you're regularly pursuing listening to his voice? Right? You picking up what I'm putting down? Peace is the presence of God. Peace is sustained as we listen to his voice which means to be hungry for it, to take time to do it, and peace remains as we follow his direction. You will have no peace unless you listened and then obey. I tried to do this for 17 years. For 17 years, I tried to listen to God's voice. Oh, God, yes, please speak to me. I read scripture, I prayed, but then I didn't obey, right? I had little areas of my life where it's like, no, I get to do this. This is my reward. This has nothing to do with you, Jesus. I just had the little things right here, just always kind of in the background, little activities that I could do, that I would want to do, that would reward me, that I could feel good about. You know, I deserve that extra, that one more. It's not that big a deal. I'll just say I'm sorry. I just need this. This is just what I want to do. 17 years of me listening to God but not obeying, I was miserable. Peace won't remain unless you obey. Now, let me draw a connection between this moment in Joseph's life to the life of Jesus. I can't prove this connection, so I'm sharing with you a hunch. So forgive me if I'm wrong. So how did Jesus know that prayer was required to start his day? How did Jesus know that talking to God and having God's presence in his life was what it meant to navigate every situation, to be the anchor in the middle of his greatest fear and stress and confusion? I mean, he must have practiced talking to God, listening to God, obeying God before he was an adult, right? He must have practiced that. He must have had a mentor who showed him and taught him that your daily life can be shaped by prayer so that when trouble comes, when grief breaks in, the first thing that you seek isn't to solve it on your own, but you seek the presence of God to bring peace and clarity and direction. He must have learned this somewhere. And I think that person was Joseph. Why? Here it is. Because Joseph didn't pray, and he almost made the worst mistake of his life. If Joseph had, had listened to fear or had followed his perfectly kind reasoning to quietly divorce Mary, it would have been a disaster for Jesus and Mary. There is no Jesus without Joseph, bottom line. And remember, Jesus is a carpenter like his stepdad, Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter, so before the invention of power tools, carpentry was a relatively quiet profession. There's nothing more loud than the scream of a router or a planer. 
right? But back in the day, that was just a hand plane. Or a sander. It was just, it was actually a little card scraper. And carpentry took a long time. And there's a lot of scraping. And there was a lot of cutting or sawing. And Joseph was there doing that work. And Jesus is the firstborn son, which means he's dad's apprentice. So he's with Jesus all, or with Joseph all day long as Joseph is measuring and cutting and planing and scraping and chopping. And carpentry kind of lends itself to conversation, right? Because you can do this and talk at the same time, right? You can do this and talk at the same time. And what do kids ask their dad when they're bored out of their mind? Yeah, like 75,000 questions, right? But you know what they always ask? So how did you and mom meet? Especially when they're like 11 or 12, like my son is right now. Man, this whole horrifying world is opening up to him. And so, so how did you and mom meet? You know, like, what was it like when I was born? What happened? Jesus is going to ask Joseph all these questions. And what is Joseph going to say? Well, I did it all perfectly. No. Joseph is going to tell Jesus, the absolute truth. He's going to say, oh, man, I almost mucked it all up. Yeah, your mom's a rock star. She rode on a donkey, nine months pregnant. Right? Joseph is going to tell Jesus, here is my great plan for my life that I was trying to make apart from God, and God showed up and gave me a way better plan. And then what does Joseph show Jesus? Because it's not just about telling your kids, no matter how old they are, about what it looks like for the peace of God to enter into your life. You actually get to show them as well. And what does Joseph show Jesus? Well, if we look at Jesus' life, we could say that Joseph showed Jesus that every chance Joseph is going to grab Jesus' hand and pray with him when they don't have a carpentry job when a soldier comes to shake them down for money, when they're cold, when they're hungry, Joseph chose his son that peace comes when we're in God's presence, when we're listening to and following God. I can't prove this, but I think that Joseph's mentoring of his son is the reason why Jesus was always praying, always seeking his heavenly father for peace and wisdom about what to do next. That's my theory. Read this with me. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is sustained as we listen to his voice. Peace remains as we follow his direction. There's one more lesson that, I, that Joseph shows us that I want to point out, and that's how to make peace with other people. Jesus saw Joseph leading when he was a kid and they would all go up to Jerusalem together. And when you were going to reconcile with one another or reconcile with God, part of your yearly practice was you would buy an offering. And with that offering, you would make what's called a peace offering. That makes sense. You ever heard that phrase? A peace offering, straight out of the best book of the Bible, Leviticus. 
right? Great reading. So Leviticus says that when you want to reconcile with someone else or you want to reconcile with God, that to recognize your own failures, you offer something that costs you and the blood that is spilled from that animal which is sacrificed covers that brokenness and by that blood, you are made whole and reconciled to one another and to God. Picking up what they're putting down? So imagine you're Jesus, and you're next to your dad, and you've just got done with the carpentry job, and the person pays you in coin. And you see that coin, which is rare. And then you're walking with your dad, Joseph, up to Jerusalem, and you see Joseph take that same coin based off of his work and exchange it for a temple coin and then use that temple coin to purchase a dove or a lamb, right, or a goat. And then right by your dad's side, your stepdad's side, you see that animal sacrificed so that peace can be accomplished between God and your neighbors and your friends. Peace, a peace offering costs Joseph, and Jesus gets this. But as Jesus grew older and continued to work by Joseph's side, he would realize something even more profound. See, God had helped Joseph make peace with Mary with this incredible conversation with a really big angel. But now Joseph has a much, much bigger problem. Joseph has to explain to his friends and his family and the community that he's taking Mary to be his wife. And so what will his friends and family community think? Who's the child? Who does it belong to? It belongs to Joseph. And what will everybody think about Joseph? They'll think, this guy's a scoundrel. This guy's a sinner. This guy couldn't keep it together. He didn't honor Mary or Mary's family. And so what's going to happen to Joseph's carpentry business? It's done. What's going to happen to his family? How's Thanksgiving and Hanukkah going to be for Joseph and Mary when they show up at Joseph's family? Not good. You see, no one does business with a lawbreaker. And Joseph endures public shame and as Jesus grew older and continued to work by Joseph's side, it dawned on Jesus how much it cost his stepdad to create peace. He saw Joseph's sacrifice was much more than a pigeon or a lamb. Joseph sacrificed his whole life for Jesus. He sacrificed his own reputation, his own success, his connection to his own family. He laid everything on the table for Jesus so that Jesus could be protected and loved and raised in a family at peace. And this is exactly what Jesus does for you. Jesus is your peace offering. He sacrifices his entire life for you. He ruined, Jesus ruined his reputation by going to the cross so that you could be at peace with God. 
Jesus sacrificed his own success and gave it to you. Nailed to the cross with your shame and failures so that you could be blessed with his peace and righteousness. And he's way more than just this peace offering. He is the prince of peace. And his offering is so costly and so beautiful and so precious that it is the last and final offering that ever needs to be made in order to reconcile you with your heavenly Father. Amen? Do you want peace? There's seven of you. Do you want peace? So you get to make three choices. Three choices. Number one, peace is the presence of God. So the first choice, talk to God. Every day, talk to God. Number two, peace is sustained as we listen to his voice. What's your second choice? Listen. Listen. Shake your shoulders. Come on. Two more minutes, and then we're done. First choice, talk to God. Second choice, listen. Peace remains as we follow his directions. What's the third choice? Listen, follow his directions. You've worked so hard to get peace in every area of your life. You've worked so hard to to get all the conveniences and the things lined up just so. If you're over the age of 50, you have this down. Young people are morons. They don't know how to get peace. You, you know how to get peace, right? You got it all dialed in. All of the irritating issues and people are finally out of your life. That is not peace. If you want peace to remain, then Jesus is going to ask you to do the same thing that Joseph did, the same thing that he did, and that is for you to obey, which means that you will create peace. And that's going to take your sacrifice. That's going to cost you. This Christmas, if you want to create peace, you're going to have to apologize. I know that's going to cost you. You're going to have to forgive. That's going to cost you. What do you want for Christmas? Did you know that that you and Jesus together can be the most incredible Christmas gift for your family this holiday season? You have the calling to be a peacemaker in your life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for making peace with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making peace between me and yourself. 
Thank you for sacrificing everything to be my Prince of Peace. So Lord Jesus, bless and seal the good news of the gospel in the hearts of my friends here today. We say yes to you, Jesus. We'll be peacemakers this month, this year. And for those of us who are, our lives are, are rent into right now, we pray peace, your very presence in the middle of grief and sorrow and confusion and loss. And all God's precious people said, <laughs>